Welcome to The Mastering Show. This is the show where we cover all aspects of mastering. I'm Steve Cherubino, just one of your hosts. And also joining us, our other co-host, the man who brings the knowledge, the master of mastering himself, Ian Shepard. What's up, Ian? Hi, Steve. How you doing? Doing great. How about yourself? Yeah, really good. I'm uh, kind of tired. Um, well, no, that's not true. I'm, re- I'm recovering now because I went over to, I was in LA um, last weekend for Audio Bloggers Live, which is a fantastic event set up by Ronan Chris Murphy, um, who does Ronan's Recording Show, which is a very cool video blog. Um, And so I was one of the hosts, he was one of the hosts, and Joe Gilder and Graham Cochran, who I'm sure some of the people listening will have come across, were also co-hosting. And it was this whole day of just audio stuff. Um, We all did a, a thing, and then I had I did a mastering panel. I had... Maor Applebaum and John Rod and Brian Lucy, three amazing mastering engineers um, discussing mastering. Um, Joe did a panel on getting your music uh, licensed, basically, you know, into a TV show or advertising or wherever. Cool. Um, Graham interviewed Mick Gazowski, who recorded and produced um, Random Access Memories by Daft Punk. Oh, wow. And uh, Ronan interviewed... Bob Clearmountain and Dylan Dresdo. So yeah, it was amazing, but it was it was intense because it, I like flew sixteen hours to get to LA, went out for a meal, went to bed at what was for me was six a.m. Kind of slept not that well. Right. Got up in the middle of the afternoon, as far as my body clock was concerned. Did a, a ten-hour day, um, then went out for another meal, went to bed at six a.m. again. <laughs> Then went out and visited a couple of studios um, and flew 16 hours back. So it was kind of, my body was like, whoa. Wow. Um, but it was really good. It was, you know, it was great. There were loads of people there. It's great to kind of connect with people who, you know, read my sites and, and the sites of the other guys um, and to see these kind of awesome, uh, you know, professionals in their field. Um, yeah, it was a really good experience. Is there going to be one next year? I don't know. This was the this was the first one. Ronan kind of did this as an experiment. It was all that was the other great thing. It was all for for charity. Oh, wow. um, was to raise money for something called Phoenix House, um, which is uh, helps people recover from addiction. Um, but they they have specifically have a, a music uh, aspect to that. Wow. Um, and the guy who who runs their studio was there and spoke. It was really moving, actually, just talking about you know the 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 benefits. To, to people's self-esteem and to their, you know, their, their confidence and, you know, the, the, how, how much getting into the studio and getting involved in music production helps them in their recovery. Um, and yeah, I think uh, they raised over $3,000 for, for the charity. So Excellent. it was really good. That's great. Yeah. I would love to see some of those videos. Are the recordings available? I don't think there are any oh. recordings. Um, Ronan's whole, um, e- his whole idea for it was that it was going to be a live event. Um, you know, it was, it was, it was all about in person. So it was all about meeting people actually, you know, not the kind of the virtual thing that we're used to. So he actually kind of deliberately didn't want to have the whole thing filmed or any, any of that stuff. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, and yeah, I don't know whether he'll, it'd be great if he does another one. Cause I mean, everybody who, who went kind of had a great time and, you know, seemed to, to love it. So yeah, I, th- I think he should, he should have one in Florida next year. I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that it would be more convenient for some of us. Uh, <laughs> the, you know, the people that count. Well, there you go. You, you don't want to say, do you? But I mean, it's... <laughs> well, cool, man. That sounds, sounds like a great time. Um, 
And I did want to ask you about that. So I'm glad you told us. And that's very cool. As far as mastering, what are we talking about today? Okay. So this week is the big one, loudness. Ah. Um, except it's kind of not. Um, because I, I personally actually think that loudness is pointless. Um, I, I think it's irrelevant. And I'll, I'll kind of talk about why that is. Um, possibly what I might talk about a bit more is actually gain, which is just the process of lifting the levels. And so, you know, you remember we're going through the going through the mastering chain backwards. So we started with the mindset, the metering and the monitoring, and we had limiting and you had compression and EQ. Now we're right back at the beginning of the chain, which is the gain, which is how you set the level of the music. Um, so hey, Ian, before you, know, you start, this is interesting, interesting lead into this. I have a guy who is interested because I do a lot of electronic stuff and there's a couple people around here that I've, I'm helping with their electronic productions and giving them advice and stuff. And they're asking me what interfaces they want, they should buy and stuff like this. Anyway, guy, uh, one of the, these kids comes up to me and he's like, um, yeah, I want to, uh, do you know anything about mastering? And I go, yeah, well, what do you know about mastering? And I'm like, well, tell me what mastering is. He's like, you know, it's when you, you, know, you, you use your equalizer and stuff and you try to get the music as loud as possible without distorting. Like that was his definition of mastering. Well, that's that's a lot of people's definitions. And the, see, see, the thing is that the, the world has changed. Um, the, the rules of loudness have changed, right? Because yeah. it used to be, well, it's changed and it hasn't changed. I mean, when I started out, I mean, I think I've said this to you maybe in a, in a previous episode that th these days the I'm mastering about... I guess four dBs hotter than I did when I first started mastering, um, and that—that's kind of my. And I kind of stopped at that point in around the year two thousand, okay. and since then the kind of the war raged on, and the levels have gone up by probably another four dBs wow. from there on a lot of mainstream releases, um, which is an insane amount of difference. You know, kind of dBs are deceptively small. Even two dBs can have a huge influence on on the way that we hear. The sound and the, and the way that it feels, yeah, um, and that was kind of based on all of these myths about the loudness war, right? Which is that uh, you had to be loud to sound good on the radio. That's not true because the radio uses all kinds of processing to make stuff loud anyway, right? So actually, you know, you can uh, you could almost submit anything to the radio and it would come out sounding as loud as everything else, right? Um, and there's actually there's a, there's a blog post where people can see a demo of that on my website if they're kind of going really, um, which we can put in the show notes. We like evidence. Um, I have plenty of evidence on all of this <laughs> stuff. You know, the, the next myth is that you need to be loud in order to sell loads of copies, right? But that's not true either. And there's literally academic research showing that there's no connection between loudness and sales, not positive or negative. It's mm. not like people don't like loud stuff or they really do like loud stuff. It's just, there's just no connection. Um, and actually, there's there's a, it's not kind of academic research, but one thing that I find is particularly convincing, Sound on Sound magazine did a test where they, they allowed people to kind of choose their preferences from music they were listening to. It's exactly the same recordings at different levels. People didn't even care when they actually heard stuff quieter. I'm going to talk a lot in a in a minute about uh, matching loudness when you do comparisons to to so that you don't get fooled by loudness. Um, but they were 
They were not doing that. They were allowing people to be fooled, you know, and, you, and the, the conventional wisdom says that people would automatically pick whatever was louder. Right. And even that didn't happen. Um, so. Well, I mean, for different songs, I could ima- <clears throat> I can imagine that would be so, but I guess, you know, if you a- did an A-B test with the same song and the only thing you changed was loudness, they'd probably pick the louder one, right? Well, here's an interesting thing, because I did exactly that at Audio Bloggers Live. That was my... We started off the day, each of us did a kind of 20-minute sort of TED Talk-style presentation. Yeah. My presentation was to talk to people about the effects of loudness. And I I did a demo where I played them two short clips from exactly the same song. The only difference was that one of them was 1 dB quieter. And I would say about 50% of the people in the room put their hands up to say that they could hear a difference between them. And then I asked them, which one did you prefer, A or B? And actually, it was an even split. I kind of expected that most people would go for the louder one, but quite a lot of people went for the slightly quieter one because they... Okay, so here's the thing. This is where we get into it, right? I think I've talked about this before, the the whole idea that louder sounds better. Yeah. And it's a trick that our ears play on us. Right. Um, So nobody knows exactly why it is, but we prefer sounds that are louder. They, They sound slightly brighter and slightly bassier. Um, and it could be an evolutionary process, right, where the saber-toothed tiger that is breathing down your neck is more important to pay attention to than the one that's over there kind of watching a gazelle. Um, you know, if you pay more attention to the one that's close to you, you're more likely to survive because you'll run away. Um, so our brain makes things that are close sound more interesting. That's one possibility. Nobody really knows why, but the the fact is if you play two examples of a piece of audio to to people where one of them is slightly louder people tend to prefer the louder one and that didn't kind of happen in the demo that i did at audio blogs live but people did hear that they were different right and i was asking for comments and people were saying well graham uh just kind of summed it up and said well the first one just sounded more awesome <laughs> um but other people said that they thought that the louder one had more bass which you would expect they said had thought it had more te- treble uh, more space more depth right it and that's just a difference of a dB, and literally no other changes. All I did was turn one of them down by a dB, wow. and then and then played them back. So, and the the point of that demonstration is to, I mean, yes, it shows that we think that louder is better, but it's kind of like so. What is that's not news, right? But the point is, that's two things that are actually identical. But people are being fooled; they're being deceived by the loudness into thinking that they sound different. So. Let's just imagine that those were two masters of your song that you'd done. If you don't balance the loudness before you make that comparison between the two things, you might pick the louder one just because it's louder. Right. If you've got a new plugin that you, you know, you, the first thing you do is you 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 stick it in your uh in, in the DAW, um you call up a default preset and you hit bypass to see what the difference is. If if the default settings make it slightly louder and a lot of them do, it's just automatically going to sound better to you. Right, right. Now, hopefully, if you if you loudness matched them and then did that same comparison, it would still sound better because hopefully the plugin is still doing, doing right. something useful and beneficial. But that's not guaranteed, right? So you can get fooled by that. Probably a surprising amount of them don't sound better if <laughs> you actually match well, the level. It's it's funny because it's it's kind of the first thing I do. You know, whenever somebody says, "I just switched this thing on and it sounded so much better," the yeah. first thing I do is compare it and. It, it works on me as well, you know. The yeah. thing is, it works even though you know about it. Right. You know, you plug it in, you listen to it, and you go, wow, it really does sound better. And then you do the loudness matching, you measure the loudness before, you measure the loudness afterwards, and you match it. 
Uh, and then you think, well, they sound different. Right. But does one of them sound better? I mean, you know. And then, of course, it depends on the material. If, you know, if the plugin. So, so a classic one is there is a, a very well known, which I won't name by name, uh, tape emulation plugin, which where the, the default presets add about a dB of level. And when you level match it, you hear that what's actually going on is there's a little bit more, well, in particular, there's a lot more bass, right? The low end is much fuller. Yeah. Now, if your music is lacking a bit in the low end, then plugging the default setting of that plugin on really will make it sound better because it's going to fill out the low end, which is what the song needs. But if you've got a really hefty low end in the track anyway, and then you put that on, this is probably going to make it sound worse because it'll probably make it boomy or, you know, just sound bottom heavy or less bright, depending on how we how you hear things. So that might, you know, might not be the... And usually the answer is, like everything, it depends. Yes. Um, and I mean, another example is if you have... If you, I mean, we've all done this, you know, I mean, I, I strongly recommend people use reference tracks. You know, it was one of the tips I gave back in the, the, the three M's episode on how you have a chance to master your own stuff, even though you don't have a pro mastering studio and all the rest of it. If you take music that you think sounds amazing and use that to compare your own music with, then you're going to get closer to that pretty much whatever you're doing, no matter how bad your monitoring is. Um, but if you don't turn the loudness down first to match, because almost everything out there has been mastered to within an inch of its life, right? Um, you're automatically going to think it sounds better. You know, the first thing you do when you compare anything is you have to measure the loudness and balance it out. Otherwise, you're just being deceived. Um, you know, the, it's it, it's a phrase I coined called the loudness deception, which I, I think just sums it up. It's um, and the risk, of course, is that, you know, let's say if you're in terms of mastering, the risk is that if you're working on your audio and you push it up and you push it up and it's like the level goes up and up and you think, yeah, that sounds that sounds great. That's, you know, you uh, you bypass it. You hear the quieter version. The louder version sounds better. What you might be doing without realizing it is actually slamming it too hard into a limiter or too hard into a compressor or too hard into an analog modeling EQ or a real analog EQ that's saturating. Right. Those things could sound cool but they might not, and you don't know until after all the mastering processing, you turn the level back down and compare the before and the after, um, and then you hear it without the loudness deception, and then you can go, well, does it still sound? And that's kind of my my goal when I'm mastering. That's the default thing, is it has to sound better even when the loudness is a match. Right. And if it does, you know you know you're doing a good thing. Well, you that's why you made your plugins, right? Don't they do just that? That's what perception does. Yeah, absolutely. So, so perception is, I mean, anybody can use this strategy, right? You just, need, I mean, there's loads of affordable loudness meters out there. Um, but the perception does it automatically. So you just put one plug in before your mastering chain, and then you put another one after it, two instances of the, of the plugin, give it a couple of seconds to, to do the cal- play some audio and, and let it do the, the calculations. Then you hit balance and it will adjust the before and after levels. To, to be very closely matched um, using the, the the loudness units, you know, this new method of measuring loudness that's kind of come online in the last two or three years. Um, and then you can hit bypass. And so then you will hear a loudness matched before and after comparison. Um, and the, the great thing about it is that the unexpected thing is that even though, you know, the plugin was my idea, it's even better than I hoped it would be because... <laughs> 
not because of, I mean, just, just because what happens. So if you're, what I used to do when I was mastering, you know, you'd work for whatever it is, half an hour on a song till you got it. So you thought it sounded great. And then you think, okay, so I need to to balance the levels and do an A-B comparison. So you would turn down the mastered version until it was similar by ear to the to the unmastered version, and then you'd flick between them. And quite often you'd kind of, oh, actually, I've kind of overcooked the bass a little bit, or it's a little bit too harsh in the upper mids or whatever. So you might make a little adjustment, and then you'd A-B it again, and you think, yeah, that's good, and you'd move on. The great thing about, because actually it's quite a lot of effort to do that, and you know, balancing loudness by ear is a skill that takes a long time to learn. Um, the great thing about having perception is that it's automated and it's using this the, this internationally agreed method of measuring loudness. So it's not a case of opinion anymore. It's right. not like, you know, you, you can't get it wrong. It's like, this is what, if, if it goes on TV or radio, this is how the loudness will be judged. So you're hearing a completely objective balancing of the loudness um and the, the great thing about it is you you know you you play a bit of music you click balance you do the ab and you think okay i'm going to tweak that and then because it's so easy you just click balance again and you do another comparison and you go actually maybe i'll just adjust that you know you change something else slightly or you 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 kind of and then you click balance again and you might go around three or four times and every time you hone in closer and closer so you I'm finding I hear in even more detail than I ever did before. Wow. Right? Just just because the actual loudness balancing bit becomes so easy. It's like click, balance, A, B, hmm. tweak. Um, yeah. So it's it surprised me how how powerful it is. Wow. Um and anybody who's interested, we'll put a link uh for the plugin in the show notes on themasteringshow.com. Um, so that you can take a look for yourself. But as I say, you can use this technique for yourself. And that was what I said in my my talk at Audio Bloggers Live, was just that, you know, I wanted to give them something something good, something powerful. And the most powerful thing I know is to use loudness matching. You know, th- this strategy, you know, get a free... Lots of DAWs have loudness LUFS metering built in already. And that's so for, for loudness... It's loudness units full scale. <clears throat> gotcha. So LU is a loudness unit, and a loudness unit is the same as a dB. If you turn something down by a dB, it'll go down one LU. Um, but it compensates for this sensitivity of our ear to different frequencies at different loudnesses. So, you know, for example, um, it pays less attention to bass. Um, lots of people use this thing called the TT meter. Yeah. Um, to measure the crest factor of their music, the difference between the, the peak and the RMS level. That's great as far as it goes, but it's it's very sensitive to bass. So if you have a bass-heavy genre like, say, I don't know, EDM typically, quite often the readings will look really bad. Um, and actually they don't necessarily sound disastrous. Um, if you measure those levels using LUFS instead... The judgments of loudness are closer to what our ears think, so you get a more realistic reading. They're still often pretty harsh, <laughs> for, right, right. especially in the in the EDM genre. But um, yeah, you, you get a better reading that way, um, and that's what my other plugin does, which is Dynameter. So that's a kind of that's an update on the idea of the TT meter, where it measures um, this thing called PSR, which is the short term peak to loudness ratio. So it's 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 basically the amount of space that your music needs, the amount of loudness space it needs, um, or it takes up, if you like. 
I might talk about that a bit more in a minute. Okay. Um, but you've got me talking about loudness, and I said I wasn't going to talk about loudness because it was irrelevant. All right, exactly. <laughs> um, so, so, so let me explain what what I mean by that. Um, the thing is that so it used to be in the old days, the goal was to make the music louder to try and make it stand out for the competition to try and make it sound better. Yeah, because they thought that it sold more because they thought that it sounded better because um, they thought that people preferred loud music that it needed to be loud on the radio, all that stuff, all those myths. None of those were true then, but but it's really not true now because loudness is actually the number one source of complaints from listeners and users of everything, you know, TV, radio, across the board. People, it really annoys people to have to keep adjusting the volume level. Right, I can imagine. I mean, it, it annoys me, you know. I mean, I... I balanced all the levels of my iTunes library by hand so that I so that, that wouldn't happen. Um, by hand? Well, you know, kind of going, okay, 3 dB is more on that album, wow. 4 dB is less on that. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> only, only a mastering engineer would do that. There you go. I mean, that, that, yes, absolutely. Hands up. Um, but so, yeah, loudness changes really annoy people. Um, and, you know, the guys at YouTube and Spotify and Pandora and Apple know that and they want to fix that, right? Because they want a great user experience mm -hmm. for people. Right. So they're doing this thing called loudness management or loudness normalization where they are measuring the loudness of everything. They turn loud songs down. They turn quiet songs up to try and make a more consistent listening experience for us. It's nice of them. It is nice of them. And what it means is that the loudness of your music is irrelevant. Right? It doesn't matter how loud you put it on the CD or in the MP3 file. On all of those platforms, it's going to get adjusted after the fact. So it actually would make it worse to adjust for loudness before they touch it. In other words, if well, you it, crush your song and then they put their loudness on it, it's not going to sound any better. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, so what I'm going to talk about is this idea of the sweet spot. Um, I personally believe there is a loudness sweet spot. You, you you do need to make music louder. I do it all the time in mastering, but it's a case of getting a balance. If you go beyond a certain point, it's pointless. Um, so I'll come back to what I was talking about in terms of the loudness space um, and dynameter, right? So dynameter measures the difference between the the peak level and the loudness of the music, and it actually displays it as a graph. So you can see that difference change. So if the numbers get too low, it's color-coded, so it goes red to show you when you're pushing it. Um, and after that, it kind of goes brown and then gray to, to show that you're really pushing it. Yeah. Um, but you can see, a kind of as the music plays, you get to see a snapshot of the dynamics of the music. You can see which bits are, are squashed and which bits aren't. It also measures the long-term or the integrated peak to loudness ratio, which is called PLR for short. Um, and that's a kind of overall number for the amount of loudness space that it needs. So, you know, just for example, a lot of stuff that iMaster comes out measuring 14, which means that overall there's about 14 dBs of difference between the loudness and the peak, the maximum peak level. Okay. Now you can do the same thing with the online platforms. Because the problem with the online platforms is that they all use different me methods of measuring loudness and they all use different levels of playback, right? Yeah. So, you know, just for example, 
Apple plays stuff back at about minus 16 LUFS, minus 16 loudness units, whereas YouTube plays stuff back at about minus 13 loudness units, and Spotify plays it back at about minus 11 loudness units. Okay. And they all use slightly different methods of measuring the loudness. So it's a nightmare because, you know, people are just asking me all the time, how do you know when your stuff is loud enough and how do you know when it's too loud? Yeah. Good question. So what we found is you can you can measure the platforms and you can figure out how much loudness space they allow you, right? And then submit a different version to each of them? No. What I suggest is I – mean, so I was also – I was part of um, a panel on the AES, the Audio Engineering Society, to come up with some recommendations to try – because this is a crazy situation, Right. You know, it, it makes no sense that they should all have different levels and all the rest of it. So we're recommending uh, basically match what Apple are doing. At the, 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 the level that Apple have chosen is a sensible compromise. If you use Apple Sound Check, um, you know, minus 16 LUFS, that's plenty loud enough even for, for media players in Europe where the, the, total, the, the maximum volume control is regulated by law. Um, and it also gives them plenty of flexibility to, check, to, to do the loudness management effectively, right? Um, but until they standardize at that level, I think, well, it's a choice. You could submit different versions to each platform. Personally, I think actually you can do, you can go for the, for the sweet spot. If you aim to have, for your music to have a PLR of about 12, that matches the, uh, the loudness space that's allowed to you on YouTube which is obviously one of the major platforms. Mm -hmm. Spotify has a little bit less space, but they actually use a little bit of extra limiting to lift stuff that needs lifting. So, you know, worst case, you're going to get a dB or so extra limiting on your songs, which it's not the end of the world. But, you know, when you're talking about a streaming platform, it's been data compressed and all the rest of it anyway. How, how do you know Spotify does limiting? I've spoken to their engineers. Ah, good to know. <laughs> And I started a um, a thread on their support forums saying, don't do this <laughs> and and turn it down to give us more loudness space so that we can master our music more effectively, which they've said, oh, this is an interesting idea. And they haven't done anything else about it yet. But no, I mean, the, Spotify, I got into this way back. I posted in, I actually, I actually did it from a favorable angle. I said in 2009 that Spotify was going to end the loudness war because they were, they did loudness management before YouTube um, um, I think before Pandora, but they, they were one of the first. They did it from the outset, which is a good thing. The bad thing is that people complained that but the, the Spotify player wasn't as loud as like Windows Media Player and some of the others out there. <laughs> so they turned it up and they added this limiter. Oh, um, and I mean, that's, you know, I, I understand that, but it's just, so it's this unfortunate situation currently. Right. So, so my suggestion is you can compromise. If you if your music so you only have to worry about this stuff on the loudest songs, right? If if your song is loud at the beginning, loud in the middle, and loud at the end, and you want it to play back loud, you need to make sure that the the PLR, the amount of loudness space it needs, matches wherever it's going to get played, right? There's no point in going any lower because they'll just turn it down more. Right. So the number for YouTube is twelve. So we have a preset in Dynameter. You choose the YouTube preset. It shows you an arrow where PLR 12 is, and for the loudest songs, you make sure that your music is no greater than that, right? And then you know the loudest songs are going to get played back as loud as everything else huh. on that platform, which is the best that you can hope for. 
in this day and age. And because you're making sure the dynamics are optimized because you're not letting the, the PSR get too low, which is the, the thing that Dynameter shows in the graph, you know that you've got great dynamics as well. And actually, if you have great dynamics and you're played at the, the reference level of whatever platform it is, you're going to sound better than something that is really crushed and played at that level. Yeah, that's awesome. Because because you, because you've got more, uh, you've got more room to to play with. Right. You know, you're using the full loudness space that they allow you, rather than crushing it down in an attempt to get louder and then having the music turned down afterwards. It's like tailor made for that platform. It's exactly it's optimized, right? You're yeah. you're you're nailing the sweet spot. And that I mean, the nice thing is that coincidentally, that sweet spot that they've chosen. Uh, pretty much matches what I would tend to do when I'm mastering anyway. I mean, there are other engineers out there who would be more conservative and say, no, we need more dynamics. We need more space to, yeah. for the loudness to work in. And there are a lot of mastering engineers out there who routinely push stuff way, way lower um, in terms of PLR. But I think it's it, it's a it's a good sweet spot. So when it gets played back on Apple, it is going to get turned down somewhat. So there's a little bit of kind of, you know, you're, 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 I wouldn't say wasting, but there's a little bit of space in there that's not being utilized um, really effectively. But I, I think that's okay. I think that's a worthwhile compromise. When you measure some of the classic um, albums over the years, it's, they're actually remarkably consistent in terms of how much the, the, the maximum amount of squash that they have in there, really? the maximum amount of crush, and, and, you know, the kind of ranges they use. Um, and the other interesting thing, people are always asking me about genres. They're saying, oh, do we have to have, you know, should this genre be louder than the other? Right. What I'm finding is when you measure stuff with Dynamator, no. Actually, the, the 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 minimum PSR value, the most crushed the music gets, I think should be consistent from genre to genre. The difference is if you have, say, you know, a, a full-on metal track, it's going to be pushing those minimum levels or the, those minimum PSR values all the way through, beginning to end, right? Right. Whereas if you've got like progressive rock, it'll probably start off much more dynamic and then just get really loud in the middle or at the end or something. Right. And if you've got kind of folk, it's probably pretty dynamic all the way through and then there's just a couple of bits where it gets loud. And that's the nice thing about dy Dynameter is you can see this extra detail because lots of people, probably people listening to this have... have heard of the, the the tt meter and it produces these dr values yeah you can get this overall value for a song yeah that gives you some idea of how squashed it is and there's actually an online database that people can look at we'll stick the links in the in the show notes um that's okay as far as it goes but it's it's a really blunt instrument and the same applies to the plr value that overall value that you assign to a song you could have a song you'd have two songs that both measure plr 11 one of them is dynamic all the way through. The other one is dynamic most of the way through. And then a couple of sections are really crushed. And the overall number doesn't show you that detail. Whereas you can see at a glance looking at the graph in Dynameter, oh, there, look, those sections are really crushed, even though the overall value look kind of looks okay. Yeah, it's, um, and there's all there's colors that will show you easily. It's very cool to, you know, I mean, it's very easy to see what you're looking at. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, we, you know, that was, I mean, both of these plugins, they're, they're things that I wanted you know, I, I made them for me, and I'm just pleased that other people find them useful as well. Right. Um, I mean, clearly, I hope that we would make some money to make it worthwhile in the end. But <laughs> you know, th that's that's the case. They're they're tools that were missing from my my personal. That, that's mastery how most toolkit. great things get made. 
I think I think a lot of great stuff gets made that way, yeah. yeah. Um, that or just, you know, kind of users saying, this is what we need and people paying attention. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, enough about that. If people want to see more about either of those, we can put the links in the show notes. Um, Buy Ian's plugins. <laughs> but <laughs> the... Okay, so all of that was a long way, long way around of saying, right, the loudness is irrelevant, right? Because it's going to get changed. It's going to get changed on your mp3 player because people switch on you know there's replay gain and there's sound check and there's a bunch of different things that all do the same thing all of these streaming platforms use it it's now a legal requirement in the us on radio and tv um and it's been adopted all across europe as well um i mean pretty much the only place where you'll hear the actual level differences on a cd or in a, in a file would be maybe in the car but or I guess if anybody actually still has a hi-fi out there, you know, it's kind of old-fashioned yeah. idea of a set of speakers. But the first thing that people do when they stick something on is adjust the volume. You know, I mean, you make your stuff super loud, they'll go, whoa, that's loud, and turn it down. And then they'll just hear it squashed and quietly, <laughs> as in other, every other situation. I, mean, I I just genuinely do not believe. And it's it's really interesting because people saw that I'd released a plugin called Dynameter, and they were like, oh, it's it. Because, you know, I, I go on about loudness all the time. They say, oh, it's Ian Shepard. Um, it's a loudness meter. I don't need another loudness meter. And I'm about to do a video, which is Dynameter is not a loudness meter. Good. That's, I was just going to say you should title it there. You know, it's it's not a, it's a dynamics meter because the thing that matters, the thing you have to understand now is not how loud the music is. It's what are the dynamics doing? What effect will that have in all of these different places, on all of these different playback platforms? Now, it kind of does matter because, you know, going back to the, the kind of... Like I say, I'm a mastering engineer. I do make stuff louder. There is a problem with stuff being too dynamic as well. I mean, there's a modern problem, which is if your stuff is really dynamic, if the PLR is too high, it won't get turned up as much as other stuff on these online platforms because there's only a certain amount of loudness space, a certain amount of platform PLR for the, for the music to fit into. Um, and if you want your stuff to play back loud, that's, that's going to be a problem for you. But it's also... You know, just just the original thing of if you if you get it so that the verse sounds great and then the chorus blasts you away, or you get it so that the chorus sounds great and then the verse disappears, or in some cases maybe the the verse is louder than the chorus, you know, which is kind of backwards. The getting the balance of dynamics within the songs um, is still valuable, still an important part of mastering, and you use the compression that we talked about in the, and limiting in the early episodes to to achieve that. Um, and it has other benefits, you know, it, a gentle bit of compression on a mix can pull it together, you know, can make it feel more cohesive. If you get the settings right, you know, you can get this nice kind of movement where this, this kind of like this bounce where it, it almost adds to the rhythmic element of a song. And, right. You know, all that good stuff. All of those things are influenced by loudness because if you push the level up, if you push the gain up, now we get to the whole point of this episode. <laughs> um, you're going to push the compression and the limiting that follows harder, right? Yeah. yeah. So, and this is the first stage of mastering. The first thing that I do, you know, remember, I don't adjust my monitor gain. You, and by now everybody listening to this podcast, because you've all listened to the previous episodes, right, has, has figured out what their mastering monitoring gain is. If you put a song on and it sounds a bit quiet, the first thing you do is increase the gain 
to lift the level of that song because if you don't you'll be hearing it too quiet and you'll think that there's not enough bass and treble because of this the whole loudness deception thing and your eq choices will be bad and probably your dynamic choices will be bad as well so you lift up the gain you have a limiter at the end of the chain to catch any peaks to stop it distorting horribly and when you've got the right gain, then you can start working on the EQ, then you can start working on the compression, then you listen again and maybe you adjust the gain some more and you, you go into this round and round process of honing in on the perfect settings for the song. Right. Does that ring any alarm bells with you? I'm saying put the song on, yes. push, the ga- push the gain up. What alarm bells does that ring? The, you're talking about the knob on your device, right? Is that what you mean? Well, it could be anywhere. It could be, I'm talking about in your DAW, you've got like the clip sitting on the timeline, you're playing it. So some DAWs give you clip gain where you can kind of click a thing and drag up the yeah. level of the, the, the clip. Some of them you might have to push the level up using the fader. Um, I actually recommend if, there's a, if there are Pro Tools people listening, there's a there's a, a trim plugin, which is confusingly, it's only in the mono tr- plugins, but it works on stereo tracks as well. And, and that allows you to trim the gain so you can add a boost. So you're saying so, there's a red flag somewhere in the process of increasing the gain and then limit, putting a limiter on it so it's to take the, to shave the peaks off. I don't know. Well, what is it? well okay. So, so to give you some more clues, let's say um, it's a drum kit or, the, or, there's, or there's some fairly uncompressed drums in the mix. If you push that gain up to the point where it's loud enough for a mastering level, um, chances are it's going to go. It's going to be peaking above zero. So lots of people get concerned about that because they're like, "Well, I'm clipping the channel, right?" Well, not if, not if you have the limiter on, right? Not well. You've got the limiter on at the end of the channel. Oh, oh, you're talking about in the individual tracks. Okay, individual channels. Yep, I see. I see what you're saying. I mean, the good news is it's not a problem because of thirty-two bit floating point. Exactly. So so it used to be a problem, right? Maybe 10 years ago, not all DAWs had floating point processing. So yeah, if you clipped the channel, you'd clip the song. Gotcha. And if you then pulled your master volume fader down at the end, it wouldn't help because it was already clipped. These days, I, I think all, I'm going to say all the latest versions uh, of the major DAWs use floating point processing. Right. Um, and without getting into huge details on that basically that means it's okay providing something else doesn't clip in between the the channel and the master output so those other things might be a plugin that emulates some analog gear like you know an ssl channel strip or a, a tape saturation plugin or something those things are designed to respond to hot levels so if you push it in really hot then they will do what they do and you need to be careful to make sure that you want that. But most digital plugins will happily handle the high levels and not worry about it. But, I mean, for example, that didn't used to be the case with versions of Pro Tools prior to version 9. So in that case, you would want to boost up the level right at the end of the chain using the limiter gotcha. instead. And that means you have to kind of mess around with the gain structure prior to that. So, you know, you will hear people say, oh, digital gain structure doesn't matter. You can do whatever you like. That's not true. It, you, you've got much more flexibility these days, but you do need to be careful with it still. I see. Um, that's pretty much what I want to say, I think. You know, um, 
gain is the first stage of the mastering process. Until you've got the gain right, until you've got the playback level right, you can't make sensible decisions about the EQ and the compression. If you change the EQ and compression, they're going to change the way that you think the loudness sounds. So you might want to tweak that level again, and that'll change the way that you think the EQ and the compression sound. So you have to change those again. So you kind of just go around this loop, honing in on the values that you want. And that is 90% of mastering in a nutshell. Um, next episode, we'll kind of tie up some loose ends by talking about other processes that I commonly use that people might want to experiment with. Sure. Um, but um, yeah, there you go. Uh, did I miss anything? Got any questions? No, no, I loved it. It's great. Um, very comprehensive. I think you covered everything you could about loudness. I mean, we talked about it for 40 minutes. <laughs> well, yeah, that's good because, you know, I talk about it a lot. So um, sometimes I just, oh, I can't be bothered to talk about this anymore. Well, if you did miss anything, it's a good thing because then we have other episodes we could do. So. We, well, I mean, anybody listening, if you have questions, let us know, you know, because what seems obvious to me is not necessarily obvious to you guys listening. Um, we need to do the Mastering Maxim. Yeah. Every other week, the Mastering Maxim has been something I haven't said before. But this week, I'm just going to repeat myself because it's so important. You must loudness match everything when you're comparing, right? Make some changes. I mean, okay, if you're going to do the loudness matching by hand, it's a bit of a time-consuming process, right? Because you have to measure the integrated loudness of your song before any processing. Then you have to measure it again afterwards, and then you have to adjust the levels. Or you have to teach yourself to do it by ear. Um, so when I say everything, I don't mean literally everything. Um, but I really recommend if you, if you're going through the mastering process on a song, when you get to the end, don't kind of just go, yep, I'm done. Measure the loudness, do that before and after comparison with the loudness deception taken out of the equation. Um, and then you can make, you know, then you'll hear maybe you're pushing that limiter too hard or that the clipping plugin is oversaturating or, you know, you've just overcooked that EQ slightly and you can tweak. And if you have the patience, I would then recommend you do another pass. Um, that's just based on my experience of using perception. I've learned that, you know, it's it's always worth revisiting things. Um, but it's just really good discipline to to have that in the back of your mind, especially, you know, like testing things like new plugins or listening to reference tracks um, or even comparing your own work, you know, trying to figure out, did I do a great job with this or not? Right. If, if you're listening to something, oh, that doesn't, that's, this doesn't sound as good as that thing I did last week check out the loudness meter and chances are the one you did last week is a couple of dBs louder <laughs> and you just haven't noticed. And right. when you match them out, you'll probably feel better about, I mean, it can be a, it can be quite a liberating thing, you know, because you listen to all this professional stuff and it sounds amazing. Quite often when you turn it down and loudness match it and then compare it, it doesn't sound nearly as amazing. It probably still sounds pretty amazing, right. but you know, it, it can take a, cause it's a pretty, uh, it can be a disheartening process to take something you've been slaving over for a few days or a week or longer, compare it with your favourite artists and realise that you're still not where you want to be. Um, but yeah, d doing the loudness matching can actually make you feel a little bit better about Good, well, just things. doing it for that reason alone is great. Exactly. <laughs> Confidence booster. That's what you should call your next plug-in. <laughs> Very cool, man. That's um, That's already been done. Really? By uh, yeah, by the uh, is either the no, I think he's the bass player in a jazz band that I've mastered a bunch of stuff before called uh, the Partisans. Um, 
And yeah, it's called a confidence booster, and it's actually a ring modulator pedal, right? Which is this thing that adds an extra octave below whatever you're playing. Right. You just punch it, and it just adds an extra kind of an extra layer dropped down by an. It's, so it's like a pitch shifter. It's a fairly primitive pitch shifter. Um, I mean, that's that's his name for it. It's, 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 uh, whenever he's feeling insecure on stage, he just stamps on this pedal and feels awesome. That because... is awesome. <laughs> I got to get one of them. Even though that's, th- you just told me basically what it is. It's like the sausage fattener. Have you ever used sausage fattener? <laughs> I've never used it. I have heard of it. <laughs> okay. I'm not quite, quite sure what it does because I don't own it, but I'm sure it's probably a fairly simple process that just makes it sound fatter. Yep. I, th- I think I think it makes yeah louder and thicker and makes the waveform look more like a sausage, which right. we all know is pointless, folks, but it's still fun. Exactly. Um, the um, What was I going to say? I, I'm pretty sure... You too did something like that at the end of the song Beautiful Day. Final chorus of Beautiful Day, the bass suddenly does something insane. And I I reckon I don't I literally mean that it's a confidence booster, but um <laughs> I'm sure that's that's the same effect happening. Wow. That's awesome. I gotta listen to that again. Well, awesome stuff, dude. I like the maxim. A maxim is a rule of conduct, so you have to do that if you want to be ethical. You must follow what it, Ian says. Exactly. You you must do these things. You you now know what the <laughs> Exactly. The maxims of mastering out. <laughs> if anybody uh wants to leave us comments and stuff, you can do that at our website, which is themasteringshow.com. Exactly. And you can also sign up for the mailing list in the same place, themasteringshow.com. Um, if you're listening to this in iTunes or Stitcher, please um, head over, give us a rating, give us a review, tell your friends, spread the word. We'd really appreciate it. Absolutely. And that is going to wrap up this week's episode of The Mastering Show. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Hope you enjoyed it, and we'll see you next week. Absolutely. Thanks for listening. Did you say thanks for listening? Did you steal my catchphrase? Do you say that after every one? <laughs> I try to. I've got into the habit of saying thanks for listening at the end of every video. Oh, wow. Perfect. Well, I just did steal it, and I'm proud of that. <laughs> Um, okay, I'm so not editing I... that out. You have to think of something else this show. No, no, no. I'm going to do it anyway. I just need a way to get into it. All right. Um, I, I, I can't <laughs> think. <laughs> I just want to say absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks for listening. <laughs>